things are going to be much more uh, variable with a, a pivot from China. Not necessarily because they don't want to be in China, but they just need to make sure that there's a balance. And what do you think? We're coming up to the end of the year, moving into 2023. If we look forward to next year, what, what's the big theme likely to be, do you think, or themes in, in India that, that investors are likely to focus on? Well, investors seem to be quite comfortable to, to, to see the Indian economy on uh, above average trend relative to the rest of the world. So we expect to see continued FDI. I think we expect to see the government continue to, to drive infrastructure investment, to try to continue to provide uh, incentives through PLI schemes to, to have more investment in, in sectors that are going to grow the economy. Um, obviously, uh, the external side of the uh, equation is going to be the one that most people will be watching to see if India can balance out with a, with a weaker global growth that the domestic economy can hold up. So I think that'll be the main theme for India. And more broadly, I think for region will be how China comes out of uh, COVID pandemic uh, next year. Toby, thanks very much indeed. That's Toby Lawson, Managing Director at Societe Generale. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Around the markets, the SX200 still up 0.1%. The Nikkei 225 slipping a bit further, down about a third of a percent. Cosby and South Korea also down about uh, 0.1%. And looks like a flat open for the Hang Seng this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great weekend. Please join me again on Monday morning. Coming up after the news, back chat with Janice Wong and Andrew Work this morning. The weather forecast, cloudy, one or two rain patches, maximum temperature about 24 degrees. Those rain patches are going to continue over the weekend and then sunny periods on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, 22 degrees right now, 91% relative humidity. Time's coming up to 8.32. Here's Tom Warden with the Half Hour News. Thanks, Peter. New coronavirus cases have jumped by over 1,000 to 9,219 infections, including more than 700 imported cases. Officials attribute the rise to relaxed social distancing measures and an increase in incoming travelers. Under Secretary for Health Libby Lee also noted that immunity to the virus is waning and she urged people to get fully vaccinated. She noted that BioNTech bivalent booster shots should be available in Hong Kong by early next month. If the situation turned very, very bad, like, you know, the whole medical system is collapsed, patient um, with COVID or no COVID, they cannot access any medical services. At that juncture, of course, we would need to further, we need to tighten the social distancing measures. Yet, this is the last things we would like to do. So that's why we would like to withhold the re- uh, relaxation at the current moment, status quo, and then we will observe the situation to see what the trend of the infection. The United Nations Human Rights Council has ordered an international probe into Iran's violent crackdown on women's rights protests. At least 300 people are thought to have been killed since nationwide demonstrations started eight weeks ago. A human rights lawyer with Amnesty International, Raha Bairani, says the mission's an important step forward. It sends a very strong message from the international community to the Islamic Republic of Iran that their crimes under international law and other serious human rights violations will no longer go unaddressed and unpunished. The establishment of this mechanism is very critical in the sense that it starts to collect and preserve evidence of crimes committed and therefore facilitates the path for future prosecutions. China tried to block the investigation, but its last-minute amendment was rejected. Envoy Jiang Yingfeng told the council the motion was overwhelmingly critical of Iran and that it would obviously not help resolve the problem. 
The lower house of the Russian parliament has unanimously extended a law banning material deemed LGBT propaganda aimed at children to prevent its dissemination to the entire population. The bill increases the fines applicable to transgressors. The Speaker of the Duma, Vyacheslav Volodin, said the legislation would protect the country from what he called the darkness spread by the West. But Ksenia Mikhailova, who is a lawyer with the LGBT group coming out, said members of the LGBT community were scared. Nobody knows how it will be applied, and uh, this is why um, at uh, this moment uh, we have no idea of how to protect ourselves and other people. In any casual situations, when they are speaking loud about their sexuality, uh, they can be afraid of um, report to police that they uh, commit the administrative office. The news from RTHK. And this is Back Chat for Friday, November 18th. Welcome to the show. I'm Andrew Work. And I'm Janice Wong. On today's Back Chat, we're talking about health care that affects all of us. Primary health care development. The latest audit report revealed a series of problems surrounding a new health center in Kweizing that's supposed to be the first step towards a primary health care network across Hong Kong's 18 districts. But is it a step in the right direction? The Kweixing District Health Centre is a pilot project funded by the government and operated by an NGO to provide primary health care and educate the public on disease prevention. But the audit report found that the attendance rate for some of the centre's disease prevention classes unsatisfactory, with dozens of them attended by only one person. It also expressed concern at the high turnover of staff there, which hit 100% last year. So what has gone wrong? If this is our future direction, is it the right direction? All right, and after 9.15, we're going to look at misconceptions surrounding the painful disease of shingles and how it is impacting Hong Kongers. And then at 9.25, RTHK sports correspondent Adam Chung will rock up with the latest on the World Cup action. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchatrthk. Backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call at 233-88266. And uh, kicking off today's show, we have got doctors, doctors, and more doctors, starting with Dr. David Lamb, uh, who is the lawmaker for the medical and health services sector at LegCo. Good morning, Dr. Lamb. Good morning. Morning. We've got Dr. William Wong, clinical associate professor and chief of research, Department of Family Medicine and Primary Care at the University of Hong Kong. Good morning, Dr. Wong. Uh, good morning. Morning. All right, and I'll, I'll preview the arrival of uh, the forthcoming Dr. Henry Young. He's a private doctor working with the district health clinic in question. He's also a council member of the Hong Kong Chinese Medical Association, joining us soon. So, uh, kicking off, Dr. Lam, what is the deal with the Kwai Tsing District Health Center? And may- maybe you just got to explain to people what the whole concept was before it opened in 2019. The district health center is supposed to be a major uh, hub inside a community network of healthcare providers. That is probably the government's first steps uh, towards developing a community health network. So when it was set up back in 2019, there was no other uh, infrastructures in the community, and they are the first to go. And the what you see nowadays is that it provides mainly preventive care, uh, primary prevention, secondary, and so forth, tertiary prevention. But that is not all that we wish uh, these district health centers 
to provide the community with. So it started in a relatively small scale in terms of um, the types of function it is uh, undertaking. Now, but then when COVID arrives, there has been quite a bit of uh, onslaught onto these centres, and Kuiting being the very first centre was hard hit. And we understand that there was a severe change in staff and also a relatively shortage of uh, attendance, a shortfall of attendance uh, for all of those um, functions organized by these centers. And that's where we are. Right. So the, I guess the whole thing is the idea that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. They're trying to deliver that to the community. But I guess, you know, for example, these these pandemic prevention classes, uh, you know, sometimes one person shows up. I guess if there's a pandemic on, people really don't want to be sitting in a classroom with other people. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. But that is not all that we wish to see the primary, I mean, the district health center can provide. Um, it should be a hub inside the community healthcare network, whereby it coordinates uh, the, the various healthcare providers, such as doctors, Chinese medical practitioners, dentists, therapists, psychologists, and dietitians inside the community. Uh, it should also be, well, from, from my perspective, it should be an executive arm for health promotion uh, of the Department of Health. So it's undertake health promotion inside the community, and it should provide certain uh, health services uh, directly to the public, such as um, nursing care, uh, sometimes dietitian or clinical psychology uh, assessment. So uh, it's not only providing preventive care as it is. One very serious, very important function should be to liaise with the public hospitals, especially when you have patients discharging from the public hospitals and they're not yet fit to resume normal activities and they need a lot of rehabilitation. Um, the district health center should be able either to provide rehabilitation to these people or direct them to other service providers in the community. So, so um, there's a lot that should do. So, Dr. Lam, so yeah. from what you're saying, are you saying that it's, it's mainly because of uh, the COVID pandemic that uh, this uh, district health centre has not been uh, very uh, popular among the public? No, um, it has been quite popular when this all started. But then it's just like a health club in the community, uh, which is not what we want to see. And the other function that I earlier mentioned, such as as the executive arm of the Department of Health in terms of promoting health and liaising with the uh, public hospital, is simply absent. So there is a lot that these district health centers have not done. And I'm not quite sure whether that's on the government's plan or is it just it's there, but then time was not sufficient or uh, because of the COVID, therefore these community uh, district health centers have not been pushing all such functions. Uh, what you see nowadays is that it's just a health club and it is far from being sufficient. And like all similar um, functions in the community, when it all started, people will be enthusiastic. But if you organize a few classes of health talks, then the number of attendees will certainly uh, fall. And after you have organized like 10, 20, then you would expect to see a serious drop in the number of attendants. Okay. It's quite expected. 
Hmm. All right, Doc, Dr. Wong, you're, you're the expert in family medicine and primary care. Uh, is, is this supposedly what the cutting edge of, of uh, preventative care and primary care is supposed to look like, or have they missed the mark? Hi. Um, well, first, I want to say it's very good that the current government placed a lot of emphasis in primary health care uh, with the recent establishment of primary health care authority. Uh, the idea, I think, of the district health care is excellent. Uh, with uh, the, the supporting the uh, family doctors in the community, uh, liaising, as Dr. Lan said, with the hospital when the patients are discharging, and also providing some direct access to the patient. Uh, but I think what, uh, what went wrong initially at this plan, as it set out, is uh, it was directly a contract with the NGOs laying down what they should do uh, and with little involvement with the family doctors. Uh, and only at the, you know, when, at the later stage, the doctors uh, are only invited to use this service. Uh, and there are times there's a lot of service not quite practical. Uh, for example, a lot of it on uh, screening, uh, but screening disease is just very common, like diabetes, hypertension, uh, when when it is quite cumbersome for the doctor who normally would test for all these, uh, doing the blood pressure, testing for the sugar, which is very cheap even at the private sector, refer the patient to them, pass the test, then the results send back to the doctor to interpret and tell the patient, and hence the service is not much used for, for, for us as family doctors. Uh, so I think right from the beginning, there have been problems. Uh, I totally agree. Uh, what it now ends up is very much like a health club. Uh, a lot of uh, so-called primary uh, prevention, uh, uh, simply lots of exercise classes, different activities. It's a bit like uh, uh, you know, uh, workers' union providing all these courses, but free of charge. Uh, no doubt, I think there are lots of teething problems. Uh, the, the, as mentioned in the audit report, you know, the uh, turnover rate of the staff, uh, the unstable sort of places, uh, very delayed in reporting, etc. Uh, but that is more of, to me, I think it's more of a contractual issues. Uh, the NGOs might not be aware of the all these uh, uh, sort of requirements uh, or the the contrary itself is not quite uh, uh, so suitable for, for both parties. I mean, that can be changed quite easily. Uh, but fundamentally, the concept and how it's organized, I think that's the uh, major problem. I mean, it seems like I'm, I'm getting a, a, a mixed messages on what the objectives are. It sounds like there's supposed to be some public health education, uh, coordination among healthcare professionals. I, I don't know exactly what the objective of that is, like what, why you want to improve the coordination of healthcare uh, professionals. And then it seems like there was some kind of a, a, a mandate I was getting from, from Dr. Lamb to wrest some of the bureaucratic uh, executive control of healthcare in the sector from the hospital authority, um, I mean, it seems a little confused. Is, it, is that part of the problem? And then it, are people just doing what they want, which sounds like the health club thing? I mean, is there, is there a problem with the confusion in terms of the objectives? 
Yeah. But I, I think there is certainly a confusion. Uh, I agree entirely with Dr. Wong that uh, it's not doing what we want to see. And then um, even the NGOs, I suspect they don't know what the purpose of these district health, these district health centers should be. They're mm. just a problem. Right. Even they don't. That's not, you're asking NGOs, which are mainly run by social workers, to organize a medical or healthcare facilities in a community, which is supposed to be the hub of the future community healthcare network. And you're asking them to provide this kind of service, organize everything in there, um, outsource their service, the medical services to doctors. How could they know? They're social workers, they're not even nurses. So how could you expect NGOs to understand what is in the mind of healthcare administrators and public health experts? Right. So the whole idea is fundamentally flawed from the very beginning. Hmm. All right, let, let us hear from uh, Dr. Yeung, who, who actually works with the Kuaiching District Health Clinic. Good morning, Dr. Yeung. So, so, yeah. Good morning. So right yeah. now, I mean, so far, um, Dr. Lam here and uh, Dr. Wong, they're saying that the uh, Kuaiching District Health Clinic is uh, acting more like a, um, a health uh, health club. I- is that what you, you think, too? Uh, more or less a health club. And uh, I think the objective is, uh, as according to some doctors saying that is the objective is kind of achieved. Uh, there are two objectives from this uh, Kuaiching uh, District Health Clinic. First is... Uh, um, prevention, uh, disease prevention, and secondly, health, uh, uh, health matters, the examination uh, of health, health talks, through health talks. And uh, uh, from what I have been involved in this uh, as uh, center, I have been uh, trying contact with them for over three years, and um, I received only. Uh, four to five referrals so far. Mm. And uh, for referral for the for the secondary assessment, what it means is the like assessment for hypertension or diabetic maladies. And after the results come back, the patients uh, got diagnosis and they, they they just go away, disappear. And I, I don't know where they they, 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 they go to. And it's, it's, I'm, I'm thinking that this this kind of uh, work assessment, just an uh, early detection of certain disease in the community, and these people cannot get the long-term subsidies from the government because uh, they are only subsidized. They have only got the sub- two subsidized visits to doctors. They may turn back to the government, to the government, and uh, clean up in the government, or they, 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 go, they go elsewhere, I don't know. And um, so far, um, the staff involving in this uh, center uh, complaining to me that there are a lot of work for them to do uh, because uh, these people, they are hard working, they have to work overnight and they have to uh, to earn a living and they cannot be rich every day uh, by these staff in the center. So, so they started to work uh, at night or even in the holidays to reach out for counseling to these uh, patients if they have got the disease. And after that amount of work over time, they, are not, they, they could not get any overtime allowance and they got no morale. That's why there's a, line, a very, very high turnover rate in this, uh, in this center staff and that's what I heard, yeah. 
do you think that's that the high turnover rate and the, the level of burnout is it peculiar to this health center or is this something that's affecting the entire healthcare system across Hong Kong? We're hearing about it in other countries as well. <clears throat> and this is kind of the the not exactly post COVID era, but still this is the legacy of COVID still dealing with it. Uh, I mean, is it particular to the Kwai Tsing District Health Center or is it affecting all of Hong Kong? I, I think that uh, with the pandemic, there's a lot of uh, less job opportunities around. And uh, these, these workers, healthcare workers, uh, wish to stay, stay in the center to help people. As, but with the, with the high working low and there's no encouragement from the, from the, from the leading team, and they, they get a low morale. And that's why they quit very early. And I think we have to got a very dedicated team. Uh, in the center to serve the people and very dedicated uh, leader, leadership to make sure that uh, the, uh, the, the medical or honor health staff are um, the least um, met and the needs of these staff are also met before uh, we can push up the primary care health in Hong Kong. And as long as I, I, I can understand, I just said that there's only a certain number of guys business for these patients, for these people, and this is this this cannot be substantiated, and that's why I'm talking that if you are holding up uh, more than uh, 18 uh, district health centers that that need a lot of money to, to the government, and this money I have calculated that the amounts to uh, the 2,000 electronic health voucher the cost of 2,000 electronic voucher to two, over 2 million people in Hong Kong. Right. If you use, use that money to, 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 to substantiate to be a electronic health voucher, and that, the money for this patient, this patient can go elsewhere to get assessment and get treatment uh, immediately. So, David Lamb, you're, you're a lawmaker advising the government. Should we should we take that money and instead put it in the hands of the people, or do you think that the Kwaiting experiment so. should I be repeated so. across because, Hong Kong? Uh, if the, we have the, you know, you know, just, 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 uh, just, uh, just speak as that, 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 that the, the leading authority in the center does not know the needs of the community doctors, the needs of community allied healthcare workers. Actually, the primary uh, doctors, the healthcare doctors in the district have their own network of uh, allied health professionals helping them. There are some okay. difficult areas, say, uh, say uh, uh, for example, in solving problems for psycholo- psych- uh, patients with psych- psych- psychological diseases, uh, for other uh, chronic illness that may uh, uh, need the uh, center's help. Uh, other, other like uh, lab service, uh, like uh, physiotherapy, uh, or even um, dietitian, that, that, that may not be so, so so uh, demanding uh, for this, for, for us, you know, that we can we can lot a network already established in this, in the district uh, in the prime primary care doctors. Okay, doc- that is wastage of uh, effort and money this way. Doctor Wong, what do you think? Uh, another two million vouchers in the community, okay. two thousand dollars apiece, or should we replicate this center and have another seventeen across Hong Kong? Uh, I think the idea of having the money following the patient is great. Uh, but there are lots of patients who would not use, be able to use things uh, wisely without the proper uh, education and guidance. Uh, sometimes, as we heard reports in the past, that it was wasted on some sort of Chinese herbal medicine. I, I do still think District Health Center has, has a lot 
And Dr. Lamb, how about you? Uh, we're, we're trying to get your, your take on yeah. more, more vouchers or more health centers. There are two different things. Yes. Okay. Centers pick one, pick certainly one. have a role. Centers certainly have a role in uh, coordinating functions inside the community healthcare network. But as Dr. Wong just mentioned it, we must differentiate between the role of a district health center and the family doctors. Mm-hmm. Now, if you make an analogy as in a hospital, who makes decision as to what the patient should receive in terms of treatment and who makes diagnosis. It's always the doctors. So in the community, it is also the same. The healthcare, I mean, the family doctor is the overall healthcare general manager of the patients. So he talks to the patients and jointly decides what should be done uh, in terms of treatment and rehabilitation and also preventive care. And then the district health centers, like in a hospital, it would be the administrator, which takes care of the various departments inside a hospital and in a community, it takes care of coordinate works between healthcare providers. And of course, it also provides some direct services to the public, but not all of it. In fact, I hope it provides only a small fraction of services. But then it is more important in order to facilitate our patients in the community to coordinate uh, uh, different healthcare providers such that our patients can have access to the nearest and most suitable uh, healthcare providers such as a physiotherapist or a psychologist inside the community at the place near where he lives. Right. So there is a lot I, I, that these I, I district centers should do. Lamb, one of these uh, issues and uh, I, think, I think the money follows the patient is the main, main principle that we have to follow. And the money can be, you know, work out in a, in a way that uh, we can specify the use of this money, just like what our chief executive said, that we have to use more in preventive medicine, that we can, the issue the the Yelchana Health voucher can be increased to 500 a year for the elderly, and we can work in this, along this way, this way as well. Right. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Young. And uh, Dr. Wong, I know like the government is going to come out with a uh, primary health care blueprint uh, very soon. What do you think we can uh, learn from this Ching uh, District Health Centre when we uh, think of the uh, upcoming uh, blueprint? Well, I, yes, uh, we, I think there is a lot of expectations. Uh, and I personally hope it will just transform how primary care is being delivered in Hong Kong. Uh, it is difficult to work, 
know what the extent of the the uh, so what the primary healthcare authority will be. But personally, I would like it to include all the general outpatient and put the whole team together, uh, rather than again just the allied health uh, versus doctor. I think we should we and we must work as a team. And, and what specifically do you think there are recommendations that could go into this primary care report? Uh, that you, that okay, people should work together as a team. A little generic. Anything more specific? Well, uh, the uh, I think for example, another problem I think is the training. Uh, currently, we have very few family doctors uh, posts for training. Uh, so. Uh, roughly about 35 to 40 a year. There is uh, our college uh, estimated that should be at least double, if not triple, in order to satisfy the Hong Kong needs. So one of the key problems we have is the uh, sort of uh, a lack of the training places. And I think that, again, should take a more holistic approach to, to the issue of the needs of the Hong Kong. Uh, rather than currently it's the training posts are distributed across more or less evenly to all the specialties. Okay. So that, I think that's the second point I want to make. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you very much to our three guests that we had on today. They were Dr. David Lamb, the lawmaker for the medical and health services sector. Dr. Henry Young, a private doctor who was working in the district health clinic at, 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 that we're discussing and will be discussing after the hour. Uh, he's also a council member of the Hong Kong Chinese Medical Association. Also, Dr. William Wong, clinical associate, professor and chief of research at the Department of Family Medicine and Primary Care at the University of Hong Kong. Quick hit on the weather. Mainly cloudy, one or two rain patches, high of 24. Four degrees today. Uh, weekend is also going to be rainy and warm, uh, sunnier Monday, Tuesday, but getting cooler next week. So be ready for that. The temperature is now 22 degrees Celsius. It is 91% humidity. Mr. Trump has denied raping or even knowing Miss Carol at the time. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Andrew Work, we're talking primary health care. And if the first step in. Welcome back to Back Chat with Janice Wong and me, Andrew Work. We're talking primary health care. And if the first step in a new direction for Hong Kong is the right one. Uh, we welcome to the show now Alex Lamb, chairman for Hong Kong Patients Voices. Alex, good morning. Good morning. Alex, I've got a quick uh, hit from our friends on uh, Facebook, our listeners on Facebook. Uh, Ellen says, I visited one district healthcare center with my mom. The location is in a business building, which is not easily accessible by the elderly. And the reception working there didn't pick up a phone call. Seems like they are not enthusiastic to work there. What is the word among patients about this new Kwaiting District Health Center? As far as I know, the Kuching um, uh, District Health Center is, is quite remote. It is not uh, um, located in the residential area. Rather, it is in the you know there's a industrial or um, um, commercial part of Kuching on the other side of the um, the area, the district that. Um, you know, you, 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 you have to go to um, quite far um, from, from your, where you live to, to attend to this uh, center. Hmm. But I think it's, it's really a matter of a location when they have all this um, 18 health center opened. 
in uh, the 18 centers or uh, districts in Hong Kong. Um, it, it is supposed to serve the uh, 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 residents um, working or residing in the in the in the district. But um, I think the, the most concerned uh, part uh, would be. Uh, as uh, suggested by Dr. Lam or Dr. Young um, earlier on, that uh, we are not quite sure about the um, primary um, purpose of uh, of the centers is doing. Yeah, I mean, because I... apparently they they don't have doctors uh, in the center; mm-hmm. they only make referrals. Right. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not a medical professional, but I would have guessed that the main objective would be to reduce the incidence of serious health issues, you know, by preventing disease or early diagnosis. Uh, you know, am I, am I wrong in that? Because it seems like they have a yeah, lot of you, other objectives. Well, you, you're right, because uh, as far as I know, uh, I, I talked with uh, a guy working in the, this, um, one of the centers uh, in the I shouldn't mention. Uh, he told me that uh, yes, um, everyone resident go there and they would do a, a, a short um, interview, knowing the background of the the, the the person and whether he or she has any uh, chronic illnesses or whether um, the the illness is under control or monitored or uh, under management by uh, other medical professional or in the private or private um, uh, facilities. Mm. And uh, if the case uh, worth uh, uh, monitoring, then the, they will go to another tier of service is to provide uh, um, 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 information, uh, mm-hmm. checkup to, to ensure that uh, the, the situation is uh, under control. And if um, the case uh, worth uh, further m- uh, monitoring, then they will uh, uh, provide uh, further um, information, talks, and uh, uh, guidance to, to make sure that the, 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 the person uh, would not get worse about the medical condition. And if suitable, the, the center will refer him or her to, uh, to do further checkup. And, and if possible, then, of course, uh, to, to medical advice uh, as uh, provided by Dr. Young. Now, is this because the service, these types of services, monitoring, uh, referrals, is it because we didn't have those in the community already or they were being provided by somebody else and this is going to try and shift that service away from, say, hospitals? I mean, what, what was the problem that they were trying to solve? Well, it, it seems that they are trying to put something not in the market that everyone can assess without much uh, um, financial uh, concern. Mm. Um, it, essentially, it is a, a kind of um, preventive healthcare uh, facility, mm-hmm. uh, helping people to, to uh, not to get their illness uh, uh, worsen. And by doing something, monitoring and at early stage, where was uh, that? Where was that happening before, or was it happening? Um, well, it, it never happened before because uh-huh. uh, we, you know, uh, in, in Hong Kong, uh, essentially preventive healthcare uh, are run by the Department of Health, mm-hmm. whereas the uh, hospital authorities uh, provide the uh, immediate uh, uh, medical intervention or um, uh, medical um, uh, services, including the uh, dispensation of uh, drugs. Uh, this this kind of uh, 
service to provide a service for, for genuine uh, um, patients. They need uh, immediate uh, medical service. But for these uh, health centers, uh, they only provide uh, preliminary uh, advice, guidance, uh, monitoring. Uh, it's not quite um, something that, that will uh, uh, cure the problem. And as we all know that uh, we have a long uh, waiting life in the public sector, uh, the private sector is very expensive. So it's something in the middle. Uh, the government seems to hope that uh, you will um, help lowering the people um, getting the medical service because uh, once you need this service, it will be very expensive either for the government or for your own pocket. Right. And uh, I mean, under the plan, there are supposed to be other um, district health centers around Hong Kong. Um, what do you think um, they can learn from this uh, Kwai Ching health center incident? I mean, do, do you think, I mean, how, how can they improve it in future? Well, as far as I know, um, well, Dr. Young was right. We, we only have two centers. After many years of discussion and planning and developing of these uh, centers, we only have two. With, um, a, as you remember, before ending the term of uh, our last uh, chief executive, uh, she opened uh, all 18 um, centers in Hong Kong, but uh, many of them are uh, very small scale, uh, provide a tiny service to the local uh, residents. Um, so, so we don't know what will happen in the next uh, five or ten years, uh, whether the centers will develop to a stage that uh, they really have a, a role to play in terms of uh, medical service in Hong Kong. So, so um, now that uh, we, we have a few uh, very small-scale uh, health centers uh, running, uh, or some, some they call Health Express because they are really small in size, and uh, we're talking about uh, 7.5 million people in Hong Kong. So 18, 18 centers, we're talking about, uh, you're serving like something like 300,000 to 400,000 residents uh, for, for your, uh, in your own district or center. So, so this is um, a vast amount of uh, people uh, needing the service if they really need it. But uh, if you are successful, then more people will come in to, to your service. And uh, Dr. Yang was right, you know, it's very demanding. And uh, people working in the centers are leaving because of the, the, the high work pressure. So we, we, we have to think, you know, with a small, well, uh, uh, like a, uh, this health center is like a bigger clinic. To serve so many people in the area free of charge. So you expect a lot of people uh, would uh, require your service. Um, so how are you going to deal with it? Because you expect an NGO to run these centers, and what kind of uh, facilities or resources you you going to provide to the center to provide a meaningful service to the residents in the area? Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm guessing if it's free and people can access it, it includes things like counseling, uh, anybody can show up anytime they want, I'm guessing that you know, like we've seen in other types of health services, like emergency rooms, people are going to use it as a social club, a place to park well, the elderly when they have they need someone to look after them and they have to go out for a few hours. Yeah. Uh, and enjoying the free aircon. Yeah. So I mean, is that is that very is that part of what's happening there? Well, I can't preclude this uh, because there are some other uh, similar service provided uh, provided by the the NGOs around the area. Uh -huh. uh, you know, charitable organization. They are also doing this. Uh, elderly people regard this center as a, you know, um, meetup place, um, chatting, reading newspaper. Uh, I cannot say for sure, but you have to uh, 
uh, provide meaningful service uh, as a um, uh, to play a meaningful role in medical service in Hong Kong because we we all know that uh, it is uh, something with the, the system is collapsing. Mm. So uh, we we of course we support uh, any measures uh, to prevent uh, uh, illnesses and to control illnesses uh, in a meaningful way. Uh, but this center, if you uh, see that uh, it is not achieving a certain uh, efficient uh, um, guideline, that um, then how are we going to deal with this? We, are we going to um, uh, building uh, bigger blocks to provide this service? For, for the community, talking about half a million people in the area. Yeah, and I mean, it seems like the, the, if you make it free, the demand could be almost unlimited. Henry, Dr. Henry Young suggested uh, that the money could be better spent on expanding the voucher program. He said you could provide another 2 million people with a $2,000 uh, health voucher for the same amount of money. Uh, do you think we should unroll another 16 well, health centers no. or expand the he, voucher program? He, he certainly, you know, wish the money go this way because <laughs> he's a private doctor. Sure. Uh, but I, 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 with due respect, uh, I think the, the medical uh, or the health center does provide a certain uh, level of um, service uh, which a private doctor um, cannot possibly uh, do. Uh, it is, you know, uh, the, the guidance to, 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 to people uh, monitoring their, their health uh, um, uh, situation. But I think the, we, we have to find some other ways that, uh, that would uh, give a uh, uh, better way of uh, providing service to the community, such as uh, dispensation of drugs for, for uh, people with chronic illnesses. Because uh, if you're, you, you have this illness uh, that you have to visit the, the clinic, uh, hospital clinic, GOPC or SOPC, uh, once every few months. And uh, <clears throat> for certain patients, they don't really have to go, and uh, they just have a phone call with doctors, and they can collect the, the drugs uh, from this health center. That I think that would be a good service, uh, uh, you know, at the expense of the government, of course. But uh, the, the, the resident wouldn't have to travel uh, a long way to the hospital to see the doctor for one minute and waiting for two hours. If, if it's free and demand is almost unlimited, you know, we see that, you know, but the, the demand is almost unlimited, but the resources are limited. Uh, we see staff being burned out from overwork, not, not getting overtime pay. Uh, how do you think we should control the demand side of it uh, so that it is not unlimited demand? How do we, how do we restrict access or... I mean, you have to ration it. If there's unlimited demand and you have limited resources, you, you either have to ration it or you have to make people pay so that you can control demand. How do you, how do you well, think that, that should be well, resolved? That, that, uh, if you expect people to pay, then yes, uh, you, you will <clears throat> limit the number of uh, visits. Uh, it may be uh, effective, but uh, it is somehow against the, 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 the policy that uh, everyone should enjoy the you know, healthcare service in Hong Kong. It mm -hmm. is our safety net. Um, so you have to really think carefully before you, you impose a uh, policy like this. Uh, but I think uh, currently the system is basically for, for um, the government to invite NGOs or charitable organizations to run the, each and every center in, in, the, in Hong Kong. So I think there's a problem that uh, when the NGO has no um, expertise, experience of running the centers, um, they may be a waste of uh, uh, resources for for doing so. Uh, why not the Department of Health uh, to to do it uh, by by itself, rather than by NGOs uh, which have no uh, you know experience 
to to make sure that the resources will not be wasted and that there would be a, a, a system to to ensure that the wastage will not be will not happen. Uh, maybe, maybe because the government uh, people are overstretched, but they still have cash, so they're going to try to outsource. Um, it could be the answer. We'll have to keep an eye on this topic. Thank you very much to Alex Thank Lam, you. a chairman from the Hong Kong Patients Voices. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And here on Backchat, we're sticking with the healthcare topic as we welcome uh, another uh, uh, Ivan Hung, who's a clinical professor at the Department of Medicine from the Lee Ka Shing Faculty of Medicine at Hong Kong University. And we are talking shingles. Ivan Hung, welcome to the show. Good morning. Morning. And now, shingles is nasty. My grandmother had it, uh, and it was very painful and unpleasant. And I think people in Hong Kong might be more susceptible than they know. What's the deal? Well, I, I think from research in the U.S., it basically showed that the uh, incidence of shingles uh, increased uh, in patients who have covid uh, that probably not only re- related to COVID, but if you have any kind of uh, respiratory, upper respiratory tract infection like influenza uh, or other like RSV infection, then you know you have a higher chance of uh, exacerbating or getting your shingles. Uh, the reason for this is that the uh, infection will uh, basically cause a stress in your uh, immune system, uh, and as a result, uh, your um, you know, your T-cell, uh, everything will be affected by the respiratory tract infection. Uh, and as a result, you have a high chance of, uh, you know, having your shingles, which basically is a, um, is a, a so-called like a recurrence of your uh, chicken pox, uh, which the virus, the source of the virus, hide away after you, your chicken pox infection in, the, in, your, in your spinal cord, and then it, re- it recurs. Uh, in the form of shingles. Right. Are, are certain age groups more prone to um, developing shingles after getting COVID? Uh, indeed. We find that patients who are out, not necessarily uh, with shingles, but in general, uh, when you grow older, your antibody level dropped uh, against the source of virus. And as a result, you have a higher chance of um, having a shingles when you are about the age of 50. So there's a significant increase when you reach the age of 50 uh, and, another, and another increase when you reach the age of uh, 70. So the high risk, of course, is the older you are, uh, the, the higher chance you will have uh, shingles. And uh, what if uh, previous uh, COVID patients have had chickenpox before? Um, how would that affect their chance of getting shingles? Uh, so if you have a more severe COVID, if you have a uh, COVID uh, that required uh, hospitalization, um, that means that it's, it's a, a relatively more severe COVID, uh, then studies show that you have a higher chance of uh, you know, getting shingles during your hospitalization. Yeah, and I mean, uh, but if you, uh, let's say, you know, I mean, is now the time to panic? <laughs> I mean, if people have... No, no, if, definitely if, not. No, no. So uh, what, what are we on the lookout for? So important, of course, it highlights several things. It highlighted, of course, you need your your COVID vaccination up, uh, you know, uh, up to scratch, like three doses. Mm-hmm. You need your influenza vaccinations uh, for, you know, uh, every year. Uh, and mo- mo- most important is that for high-risk individuals, for those who are about the age of 50, uh, for those who are 18 years or above but have 
high risk factors who have, you know, for example, if they are post transplant patient, uh, who or patients who have got rheumatological diseases who required uh, immunosuppressants, um, patients who have, um, you know, inflammatory bowel disease who required uh, on biologics or other hematological diseases, then uh, they will be, you know, recommended to get the uh, source of vaccination, uh, which will boost the antibody and hence able to protect them uh, against having a saucer. Uh, and not just only, you know, preventing them from getting saucer, even if they get the saucer, uh, they will be uh, milder uh, compared to those who have not been vaccinated. Right. Okay. So when you say get the vaccination, you're talking about COVID vaccination, flu vaccination. Is there a shingles vaccine? No. Indeed. Yes, that's what there we're is. talking about. You, you need the shingle vaccine. Uh, and right now we have a beta vaccine, which is a recombinant vaccine uh, called the Shingrex, which basically is uh, better compared, significantly better compared to the previous vaccine, which is a, uh, a life attenuator vaccine, uh, which the efficacy is better uh, and the antibody is able to sustain for, uh, uh, you know, uh, up to 10 years or beyond. So that's why we, we uh, you know, uh, high-risk individuals and, um, and, and those about the age of 50 will be recommended to get the recombinant vaccine. So you're talking... Vaccine, recombinant right. source vaccine. So, I mean, right now, are there two types of uh, shingles vaccines? I mean, there's a uh, Shingrix, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it properly, and uh, Sostavax, is that correct? Indeed, yes. That's the Sostavax, which is the older version, which is the life attenuated vaccine. And that's the Shingrex, which is the basically the recombinant vaccine. Uh, and the newer version is uh, better, which better efficacy, better protection, and the antibody level lasts longer, uh, as studies have shown. Uh, the difference, of course, is that the uh, you know the newer version, the recombinant vaccine, the Shingrex, uh, will require two doses. Uh, that means that you get your first dose and then a second dose uh, two months apart, at least two to two months apart, up to six months. Whereas the source of X, you only need one dose. Uh, but the protection is far better with the new recombinant vaccine. Mm. The other difference, of course, is that the because it's recombinant vaccine, that means that it's not a live vaccine. It's a dead vaccine. So individuals who are immunocompromised, as I've said previously, who have uh, you know a transplant patient or patients who are on immunosuppressants, on biologics, uh, they will be... Uh, able to use this vaccine. Uh, previously, they, they can't use the source vaccine because uh, it's a live vaccine and it will cause a uh, infection, uh, basically a a, a, a source of infection uh, if they after the, after getting the vaccine. But mm. now you, they can use the recombinant vaccine. Right, but it's a, um, I mean, what about the cost of these vaccines? They are not cheap, are they? Uh, no, they're not cheap. Uh, the exact cost, I, I, I do not know, but the, uh, the, the two doses uh, recombinant vaccine is, is rather expensive, uh, even more expensive than the previous source of X. So, uh, I had a quick look and they're like a few need, thousand they dollars, will, right? They will need support, um, especially uh, hopefully from the government. Uh, for those who are high risk, uh, hopefully they will be put as part of the uh, you know, vaccination program uh, for the adults by the government. Uh-huh. So they're so they're not. This isn't like COVID. Like I ah, go get my vaccine. Oh, the flu. Go get my vaccine. Uh, shingles. Uh, you're gonna pay. Is that right? Uh, yes, indeed. Yes. And it ain't cheap. Uh, 
the, the, the reason, of course, is that uh, shingles is not fatal, uh, but it caused a, a, you know, uh, a, a lot of complications. Tell, tell people what it is. Like, I think a lot of people don't know what shingles is or what it does to you. It's nasty. Uh, yes, the main problem, of course, is that the, uh, after getting the shingles, it causes uh, what we call post-hepatic neuralgia, which is basically uh, uh, the pain, uh, a neurological pain over the areas that you have your shingles. Uh, the reason why you have the pain is because the, uh, the nerve, uh, there's, a, there's a cover on the nerve, uh, and the nerve, is, uh, the, the nerve cover, uh, what we call the sheath, is actually destroyed by the, uh, by the shingle virus. So uh, it would it would take time for the sheath to to heal and uh, and it grows so slowly that uh, uh, because of the, uh, the destruction it causes a lot of pain uh, and the pain could be long lasting could be like over a period of uh, you know several months to up to a year uh, and that caused a lot of problem in terms of anxiety in terms of uh, people could not sleep because of the pain uh, and it looks and, nice um, and apart from that you know. People could get, uh, you know, if you have shingles on your eyes, you could uh, cause problems with your eyesight. Uh, if you have problems uh, with your, uh, you know, um, w- uh, with, with the uh, over the skin area, it could also be, uh, you know, uh, cause a lot of uh, uh, pain over that area. So um, that, that's why you need the shingle vaccine, uh, even though it's not is not fatal. Right. Professor, Professor Hung, just one final question. I just want to double check because you're a government advisor. Um, I just want to check. Uh, so basically you're advising, I'm looking at the studies, you're seeing that uh, there is an increased risk of getting shingles from uh, after getting COVID. So you're planning to uh, recommend the government to give subsidies for people who are high risk, for example, above 50 years old to uh, get uh, this uh, shingles vaccine then? Uh, indeed, yes. Um, I think the... Uh you know, we will try to, uh, of course, we will discuss this at the Johnson Dev Committee uh, and also with the uh, Department of Health. And hopefully we will get uh, subsidy from the government to cover the first, the high-risk group, as I mentioned, those who are post-transplantation, immunocompromised. Uh, and then the next step is to get subsidy for those about the age of perhaps 65 first uh, in order to protect them against shingles. Okay, well, uh, on that happy, happy topic for a Friday uh, morning, this is us at Back Chat, and that was Ivan Hung, Clinical Professor, Department of Medicine at the Lee Kaohsiung Faculty of Medicine. Get ready now for the World Cup update. And we're bringing you Adam Chung, the RTHK Sports Correspondent. Update on the World Cup. Adam, what's going down? Oh, man, there's a lot happening. Well, let's start off with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo becoming the first man to score in five different World Cups. The funny thing is he's the second oldest to ever score at a World Cup. The only person to to have been the youngest player and the oldest player Mm -hmm. of a country to score in a World Cup. Wow. Because he's playing in five of them. He's still doing it. Exactly. But anyways, Portugal beat Ghana with uh, Ronaldo scoring that first goal off a penalty. Just want to mention, because there's so much attention on Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. I just want to put it in some perspective. Uh, some credit goes to uh, Bruno Fernandes, who played really well in this game. And he set up the other two goals to Rafael Leal and João Felix that got them back into the game and eventually winning it. Also, I want to mention Portugal under Ronaldo... 
in his first World Cup, they went to the semifinals, but after that, they never advanced past the last 16. So uh-huh. we'll see how they do this year. All right, all right. So that's, I mean, that's a, that's a big moment for, for Portugal. Some personal records. What's happening with some of the other uh, some of the other hot teams? Yeah, okay. So Brazil off to a winning start, 2-0. Mm-hmm. Two very nice goals by Richarlison. Nice. There's a little bit of a, an injury worry because Neymar uh, limped off uh, that game with a, an ankle injury. Hopefully he'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, South Korea and Uruguay finish 0-0. I mentioned last Friday that dark horse team, I think, Thing is Uruguay. Mm-hmm. So they were able to get a point out of South Korea, who are, I think, f- should be looked at as favorites in this group. But some of their star players aren't 100%. So we'll see how they do the rest of the way. Uh, lots of interesting games this yeah. weekend. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So what are you looking forward to over the, over the course of the weekend? What's coming up? Well, well, let's start with tonight. Okay, big one. England versus USA oh, tonight. Yeah. So let's see if mm-hmm. England can back up that uh, opening game performance when they score six goals against Iran. This time they're up against the Americans. I thought second, the States Second looked- best team in the CONACAF. Second best team. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Second only to Canada, of course. I, I thought yes. the Americans looked good in their first game, but uh, so it'll be a more difficult challenge for England. Also, uh, Lino Messi and Argentina will need to win their second game against Mexico. They're playing Saturday night. Germany versus Spain Sunday night. That's a must win for Germany up mm-hmm. against Spain, who scored seven times Boy. in their opening game. Also on Sunday night, it's Canada. Versus, versus Croatia. Croatia, who was second in the last tournament. I know Croatia's favored to win that one. What do you make of it? I, I just hope Canada scores a goal. <laughs> it, it's easy to say Croatia will win because they're really good. They've got the best midfield in all of football. Mm. But those guys are getting old, okay? Luka Modric, Ivan Perisic, they are getting older. They weren't really able to show their stuff in the opening game. Mm-hmm. However, I thought the Canadians looked really good against Belgium. That, they should yeah. have won that game. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people said so. Canada's got some, some old boys as well. But, uh, you know, they've also got some young hotshots like Alfonso Davies. Hopefully he can uh, put it together this time. Exactly. Yeah, so he missed a penalty. But you know what? I thought the rest of the team played well. Some yep. of the younger players really came through. Tejan Buchanan, Kyle Laren off the bench. Jonathan David had a few good touches. Mm-hmm. So I ex- if Canada can just be a little more aggressive inside the box, you know, don't be afraid to shoot it. I think they'll be fine. So let's see who will make history by scoring the first ever Canadian goal in the World Cup. All right. We'll be on the lookout for that. Thanks to Adam.